All right, turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Start reading in verse 1. I'm going to just read through the whole chapter. And I'm reading from the modern King James Version. And I, brothers, when I came to you, did not come with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I am determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and of power. So that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. But we speak the wisdom among those who are perfect or mature, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the rulers of this world that come to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, which God has hidden, predetermining it before the world for our glory, which none of the rulers of this world knew. For if it had been known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written in the Old Testament, I hath not seen, nor ear hath heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. That's the quote from the Old Testament. And then Paul goes on under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit writing the church of Corinth. He says, but God has revealed them unto us by his spirit for the spirit searches all things yes the deep things of God for who among men knows the things of a man except the spirit of man that is within him but we have not received the spirit of the world but the spirit from God so that we might know the things that are freely given to us by God these things we also speak Not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual things. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God because they are foolishness to him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned or understood. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him or be his counselor? But we have the mind of Christ. So we will look at uh, some of the things in this chapter. The title of the message is Spiritual Wisdom in Christ. Spiritual Wisdom in Christ. I'm going to try to uh, just make this a one-parter. I always shoot for that. Doesn't always happen. Can't guarantee it. But I want this whole subject, I want us to see that this subject is about being Christ-centered and gospel-focused. We try to do that every subject. And I believe that's what the whole of Scripture is, period. It's Christ-centered and gospel-focused. And it's it's not merely about good ideas or best methods We do talk about those things, and they are in the scripture. But what we're talking about today is about the difference between the truth of Christ and the lies of the world in message and methods. So let's get right into it. There in the first verse, and we're going to look at some other text. uh, So we'll be going back and forth. So make your decision on whether to... Just listen or follow along or what. But in verse 1, And I, brothers, when I came to you, did not come with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. Now, first of all, if anybody knows the history of the Apostle Paul, you know some of his past history in, in religion, the religion among the Jews. This guy, Paul, Wherever he would go, really before and after he was converted, was the smartest dude in the room, wherever he went. 
he was versed in Jewish learning and he was brought under the teaching of Gamaliel. This guy was famous for being the go-to guy that had all the letters behind his name. He was the chief teacher in the area among the, uh, the Pharisees and so on, knowing the law inside and out. And that's who Paul was under before he was converted. Not only that, Paul knew he was familiar with all the Greek culture. We know that he was an apostle to the Gentiles. So through the providence of God, Paul knew all about Greek culture, the Greek language. He knew about the poets. He knew about Greek mythology and false gods. He knew about, no doubt, the artwork and different things like that. He even knew how to talk like they talked with the pompous language, the rhetoric and the eloquence of the, of the Grecian style of communication. If Paul wanted to turn it up, he could impress men if he wanted to. But for Paul, what he's saying here is the gospel that I've been charged with to preach, I don't do that. I don't use great swelling words of vanity. I don't have a special certain style that's where I can trump somebody's intellectual. You know what I'm saying? He, he didn't show off. He used the word of God. He used the, the rational, logical, theological, doctrinal teachings in the word of God. And that's all he needed by the power of the Spirit. You'll see that as we go along. I'm going to quote a couple of verses from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. For the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly. They're not, some verses say carnal. This is getting back to the warning in the text that we read. Not the wisdom of men, right? Not fleshly. Of course, it rules out. Uh, I mean, we don't convert by the sword either, right? You could give other examples of false methods that would try to psychologically woo people in and can give them false conversions, whether it be music or emotions or whatever. But those are not our weapons, They're not carnal, fleshly, um, as far as fleshly in our mind. But they are mighty, how? Through God. Pulling down strongholds. We'll see in a minute what this strongholds means. Pulling down imaginations. And that's another word we'll look at. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Strongholds means to fortify or, or as a castle. And figuratively, it can mean even an argument. An argument as a stronghold. Something that you can't, they don't want you to get by. Your enemy doesn't want you to get by this cat, this protective castle or a fortress. And that's the way man is with his humanistic logic. He thinks, I have got a fortress here on my hands because I'm wise. Therefore, I'm going to battle God's people and I'm going to make them look stupid with the wisdom of the world. And Paul says here, all right, we've got some weapons of our warfare. It's not carnal, but it is through the power of God, through his word, and those are the weapons, those doctrines and the, and the gospel and the body of theology by the power of the spirit. And we're going to use that. That's the only thing that will work. We're not going to use the fleshly means and methods. Pulling down imaginations. Imaginations here is also related to argument. It's related to logic, computation, reasoning, or thought. Now, we know people create a God out of their imagination, right? Well, what we do is we use the scripture logic, the computation or the figuring out or the explanation of these things that are true, the reasoning. Paul, if you, if you remember maybe reading about Paul in Acts, said he went from town to town, synagogue to synagogue, reasoning in the synagogues with the scripture. That word means he argued. It didn't mean he yells and got mad and spit on people. The word argument has got really a, a, a bad reputation. And um, some people use that definition in a bad way to stop what we promote. To rationally explain and reason with people, with the scripture. Depending on the spirit of God to give them ears to hear. Not our fancy footwork in explaining things. But as it says here. By the power of God. 
And we do this that exalts itself, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So this is talking about, as we go through the scripture and we see these contrasts between how you deal with people and what you deal with them with, your method of operation, the means that you use, and how you evangelize and perform apologetics, the defense of the faith, that we are to do it, we're not to be dummies, in other words. We don't promote being a dummy. We don't say, well, I got something, I think I got a word of God for you today, but we're just so ignorant and stupid, I don't know if, I don't even know if I can get it out. I don't understand it, I can't explain it. Uh, pray for me. <laughs> What it's saying here is it's contrasting humanistic philosophy with Christian philosophy. Philosophy just means how you think, right? And in the quote-unquote church, evangelical church, the theological landscape, is telling you stop thinking. I even heard a guy who claimed to be sovereign grace. He said, when you come to a text like this, we're going to take our thinking caps off. Just run from people like that, would you please? They put down any kind of thinking thing. They hate logic. They hate understanding. And if you talk about these things, in a, even in a biblical way, I want to hear that. I want to hear that. And I'm going to give you a list here in a minute of some of the things that they habitually reject. So there's a contrast there. When you, when you see these texts, and, and you've got to be careful, you've got to look closely to qualify and interpret which side they're talking about, human or godly. All right? So the natural sinful man, he's polluted with evil, wicked, and this self-seeking glory, and he desires to have his own way and method of thinking. That's man's wisdom, Right? So we have to see that in contradistinction to what God is saying that we pick up on and use and how to talk and deal with people. And not just for our sake, to learn and understand, but for the glory of God. I hope you're on board with that's the main reason. It's for the glory of God. God has pure logic. God is pure logic. He puts out rational thought in biblical, eternal truth in reference to his own philosophy or his thoughts. We can't know God unless we know his thoughts. He expresses to us what a truth is. How can we get a hold of him if we don't know the truth about him? Eternal life is knowing God, and you can't know God without the doctrines and the theology of the gospel of Christ. I feel like sometimes I'm beating a dead horse here because we talk about this a lot. But I mean, sometimes it's just I see it uh, amplified and cranked up worse and it's, uh, it just hits you all over again. And we just need to see the importance of it. So Christ, as we studied in, in John 1, that he is the word, right? That should say it all. That word communicates to our understanding and those means are words and sentences and paragraphs, propositions, truths that we look at. We read and we most of us read English only and we look at it. We say there's an understanding that's conveyed and there's an interpretation that has to take place. We just don't read things and just make up your own rules. The scripture has its own rules for its own interpretation. But Christ himself is the truth. We looked at when we went through John 1, 1, that Christ, the word word, referring to Christ, can be easily translated logic. Christ is the logic of God. He's the logos of God. You've seen me. You've seen the Father. You've seen Christ. Makes sense. Computation. We understand. It's an explanation. Rational understanding. You've seen me. You've seen the Father. So Christ, being the word, is our master as far as like headmaster and teacher when it comes to we're his disciples. We listen to him and uh, words have meanings, right? They have meanings. Go back to the chapter before and I want to hit on a few things here that uh, are related to our text, which we could conclude that they're in our context. It's the chapter before. 
We're going to compare spiritual with spiritual. Now, Paul says some of the very same things here in this first chapter that he says in the text that we already read. 1 Corinthians 1, 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Notice, not in wisdom of words. Now, we'll qualify it here. Wisdom of man's wisdom, not of man's wisdom. Now, wisdom of words, if we don't understand words, and we're fools when it comes to words, we don't understand anything. And even Paul himself would be wasting his time. So we make that distinction of, of man's wisdom versus God's wisdom. And, and here's an important note here that he mentions. If he was to do that, if he was to go the route of man's wisdom, look at the result after the comma. Lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Now, who wants to do that? Who wants to waste their time in evangelism and think you're uh, smarty pants and show off and uh, maybe talk over somebody's head or compromise the gospel, throw man's wisdom in there and void out the message of the gospel? I see it happening all the time. We see it all the time. So we're keenly aware of that. And, and I think as we mature, we see it quicker. We're able to point out and explain why, that it's wrong, that of the things some of these people are saying. Verse 18, because the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those that are lost. These are the ones with man's wisdom in their head. But to us who are saved, it's the power of God. For it is written in the Old Testament, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. Now, see, this is not the good wisdom. This is the wisdom of the worldly wise. The worldly wisdom of the worldly wise. Humanism. He says, I will destroy that. And I will set aside the understanding of the perceiving ones. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the lawyer of this world? Now, lawyer here is not talking about necessarily these ambulance chasers. He's talking about the theological doctrinal lawyers with all their PhDs in theology and masters of theology and master of divinity and all that. And those are only good as school you went to. But most, most easily, I think everybody would agree, most with those letters behind their names are fools. They don't understand what we talk about here every week because they're worldly wise and they tolerate and compromise the truth of God's free and sovereign grace. So Paul says, where are these people? Where are they at? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? See, there he qualified it. He added wisdom of the world. For since the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom did not know God by their worldly wisdom. But it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching what they thought was foolish, what the worldly wise thought was foolish, to save those who believe. For the Jew seeks a sign and the Greek seeks after wisdom. Now, that, that's important there that the Jews or the uh, Greek seeks after wisdom. So that's what Paul's talking about in our text in chapter two. The worldly, high, lofty wisdom, man's worldly wisdom among the Grecian philosophers and thinkers and so on. That's what they seek after. But why, what's the most important thing? But we preach Christ crucified. Does that sound familiar? For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Verse 2 of our text. To the Jews, this message. To the Jews, a stumbling block. And to the Greeks, foolishness. But to them, the called out ones, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolish thing of God is wiser than men. The, the foolish things, the worldly wise thinks they're foolish. But what God typically commonly always uses is this message, the cross of Christ that they hate, that thinks foolish is wiser than men. That's not too hard to see if man is a fool, right? And the weak things of God is stronger than men. Just being redundant there in that idea. So again, the idea of our text, I've determined not to know anything among you 
except Jesus Christ and him crucified. The Jews seek a sign, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, foolishness, but to them are the called out ones, but Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. You see the qualifier there? He takes care of that, wraps it up, and it all shows harmony and consistency there. So we can identify the very wisdom of God is Christ and him crucified. That is the wisdom of God. Period. That's the glory of God. That's the wisdom of God. That's the word of God. Christ and him crucified. It should amplify the importance of we should be determined not to know anything except that right there. And anything we teach in a practical manner, we teach it off of that foundation and platform. That filter filter or funnel, I, I have a tendency to say, or preach it in light of the gospel. So the gospel is said in Romans 1, 16, uh, to be the power of God and the salvation. That it, it says here the power of God and the wisdom of God, Christ and him crucified. You see the tie-ins, they're all over the place. Later on, uh, it talks about in, in between what we just read and what our text is, it said, but of him you are in Christ, who of God has made unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. I mean, that's a snapshot of the gospel of what we are in Christ, what his effectual redemption accomplished for us, and that what, what we have been made in Christ by the Father. Go back to our text and look at verse 3 and 4. And I was with you in weakness and in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not, notice, with enticing words of man's wisdom. But what was, what was it in? But in the demonstration of the Spirit. Talk about the Holy Spirit. And of power. The power going back to the, crediting it to God. The one who is giving Paul this power to do what he has to do here. And to communicate and to actually guard his mouth to say the right thing at the right time for the right reason. And if you see this in the text and you know it's a truth. And, you know, when I prepare for messages, we know the means of the gospel. It's, it's going to go out and succeed. It's going to do one of two things in God's purpose. It's going to convert or condemn it's going to be a savor of life unto life or savor death unto death. It's going to cause a conversion or it's going to harden people. So we can't have this worldly idea of a successful ministry of every time we preach and say there's, you know, a thousand people hearing it and everybody walks off and rejects the gospel and we think, oh, we failed. No, we have succeeded in one of the purposes of God that that gospel hardened all those people. That's God's purpose. If it wasn't, they would be converted. When Christ fed the 5,000 and um, preached, he was talking about his sovereignty and the sovereignty of God and how salvation takes place. And um, pretty much everybody left. And um, he looked to the disciples and said, will you go away? And they said, where can we go? You got the words of eternal life. And, uh, you know, Christ didn't stop and say, well, I got a lesson to teach you. This is not a successful ministry. Look at all those people that left. No. I mean, even the words he said in the message that caused people to left disprove that anyway. No man can come unto me except that the Father which sent me draw him. All that the Father gives me shall come to me, and he that comes to me I am no wise cast now. The words that I speak are spirit, and they are life. He's not much in contradicting himself. Everything happened just the way he wanted it to. And we should take that and learn from it and try to deprogram ourselves from this crap that we heard in false religion. Verse 5. Remember, tie this into the last part of that sentence. His speech and his preaching was in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Here we go. So that, for this reason, so that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of man. Going back to 
if I if I spoke the words of, of wisdom of man, I would make the gospel of none effect. So therefore, I'm going to speak the words of God through the demonstration of the power of the Spirit so that you don't believe that, that falsity that would otherwise happen if I used enticing words of words of wisdom, man's wisdom, man's philosophy. Do you see how important this is that we do this the right way? Otherwise, we will, ca we will cause false conversions. That's what we'll do. We will mass produce false conversions. Uh, some of you should know that because you were part of a false conversion in the past. Maybe more than one. Should not stand in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. He's just redundant about the whole thing. In other words, not in man's natural wisdom. So that goes back to that verse we looked in, in, in chapter 1. Um, Christ sent me to preach the gospel, not in words of wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be made of none effect. You can void out the truth of the gospel by lying about it. I mean, this, this here should be a verse that shows at least one way of how to take the truth of the scripture and turn it into a false gospel. We talk about false gospels all the time. This is a way to do it. You can turn, you can twist and pervert the scripture and the words coming out of your mouth are a false gospel because of wisdom, man's wisdom, man's philosophy that doesn't line up with the truth, the wisdom of Christ. Now back in our context, uh, our verse there is verse 6. But, counterwise, we're not doing it that way, but we speak the wisdom among those who are perfect. Some verses say mature. Yet not, he's wearing this out, so he doesn't want you to miss it. Yet not the wisdom of this world, nor the rulers of this world, those that are in authority, those that have influence, those that might maybe be persecuting you or trying to tempt you to compromise so that uh, you can water down the message so the rulers could, hey, uh, I've got the governor that goes to our church. You know what I mean? You know? No. We've got a guy in our church. He's a rock and roll star. Of course, that's where the preacher's getting his money, right? I, you know, I would love to have a, a, a rock star, somebody that's uh, uh, influential. I, I'd, I'd play music with him when, in our spare time, but I tell you what, he would not. I would not compromise the gospel. You would know this guy is one of the guys that everybody would call a hypercalvist and an antinomian. You understand? Otherwise, we don't want any. There's not many rich, not many noble. We don't. We don't need. People that will influence us in the wrong direction. Yeah, they would probably give millions of dollars to the church. But we just might as well shut the doors. We're, we'd be in it for the wrong reason. Not the rules of the world that come to nothing. Paul's saying under the inspiration of the Spirit, these people are nothing anyway. It's vanity. Verse 7, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery which God has hidden, predetermining it before the world for our glory. I just want to speak just for a minute to that last verse. The gospel is said to be a mystery. We speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Now, we don't stop there. We're going to read the rest of the verses, and if you don't, then you're going to be lost in this meaning. Think of um, the Old Covenant, those that were under the Old Covenant. The gospel was veiled in types, pictures, and shadows, and the very substance was not there. Christ had not come, taught, lived, and died buried and resurrected that had not happened yet so the gospel that was available 
was veiled in types, pictures, and shadows. There was the law, there was the law in place, which was said to be the curse, the administration of death under the old covenant. And then there were the sacrifices in place and the ceremonial law and all those things, which were parts of the types, pictures, and shadows. The sacrifices to show the breaking of the law needed to be taken care of by these sacrifices. And we know, looking back on it, if we look at Galatians, where the Galatians were trying to dip back into that, Paul said, these are weak and beggarly elements. Get out of there. We're, we're, we're over here. We don't go back that way. The whole book of Hebrews says the same thing. If you go back into that, that's unbelief. Showing the importance of that distinction and that break from the Old and New Covenant. Now, add to that, people in the Old Covenant had a natural blinded mind. They were dead in their trespasses and sins and in need of regeneration and faith to see those types, shadows, and pictures. So, you're talking about serious darkness. Back then, there was less clarity on purpose in the Old Covenant. God set it up that way. And then you bring this idea of the gospel being a mystery into the New Covenant. So I want to say first, there was a there was a need for an unveiling, and there was a double problem. There was the, the veiled natural heart that couldn't see anyway. And then there was the, the not-so-clear message that had to be shown what those types and pictures were that, you know, a lot of people just with their senses are looking at them, not going to know anything about them unless God would open up their heart and show them. And, and the words that were spoke by the prophets and so on, those words had to be have meaning brought to their minds and to be effectual to believe. So there is, a lot of people don't understand what this means or that's misconceived, but there is a, a progressive revelation from Genesis to Revelation, the clarity changes, especially after the, the break in the covenants. It's a clearer message. Hebrews, if you don't understand, if you don't believe that, Hebrews will convince you. Seriously. It's a clearer, there's more information. There's more distinctions. It's not veiled. It's, it's the substance is there. Christ has come. He has done his thing. He has talked about what he's doing. After he left, the letters explain what he has done. So it is revealed progressively throughout history in that sense. After the canon is closed and we have our 66 books, there is no new revelation like the charismatic movement teaches. That's heresy. So the new covenant is brought forth still those born in this time frame from the time Christ was born until now people are born still under the curse of the law before faith people are under the law till they're justified so there's still that problem and then they see this these English words that we read and there's no comprehension until the, the mind God gives them a new mind, takes out the heart of stone and puts in a, a mind to understand what these scriptures mean, what these truths are. So you still got the same problem, even though there's more information, you still got the same problem. So since, since man is already naturally religious and self-righteous in the way that they think with their own wisdom, all the more reason to understand what we're talking about here today and don't mess it up even more for them by making it difficult by using your ridiculous own wisdom or your own ideas or being vague. Oh, I got a trick. I'm just going to give a generic message and not tell everything. I'm going to hold back half the things and here's the offense of the cross. Let's, let's round that off a little bit and make it more palatable. Maybe we get more people in here. We'll open the door wider than what God opens it this is worldly wisdom. It's not going to work. The very thing you're doing to try to get your loved ones in, you're shutting the door by what you're doing. So our methods and our language in the ministry, we need to be diligent to guard for this reason, to not make it, it's already a problem. People are already deaf, dumb, and blind spiritually. Are you going to add to it by screwing up the message? 
Uh, we know we know that we know better. So we all more reason to, as we spoke of last few weeks, make distinctions, not be vague and nebulous and like a generic message. Here's an example. We've talked about this before. I want to kind of bring this out for maybe people that on Sermon Audio or on uh, Facebook have not heard us talk about. When we in our ministry talk about the importance of knowing the true gospel, we say that the true gospel, the true God and scripture distinguishes God as the true God. That's God's own word about himself. When we harp on that and we talk about the true gospel and up against a false gospel, People will reply back with, uh, you're, you're saying you have to have an exhaustive knowledge of the truth. Still haven't had anybody produce where anybody, really anybody has ever said that, especially me. But they say, all, all you got to do is believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That's what they'll say. All right. So I would ask them, do you consider Mormons saved? Jehovah's Witnesses saved? Seventh-day Adventists saved, Catholics saved. Most people that I talk to will say, no way. They say they believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. They do. You say that's all you got to believe, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Yeah. But how come you just said all these people are lost and they said they believe in it? You usually don't get an answer. Or they get mad. Or they call you names. So what's the deal there? Right? What What's the deal? Paul kind of generically does give a gospel definition as that in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. He does add some things. He does say according to the scripture. And you can really weed out all false religion by that line right there. But we like to, uh, and I hope you do, make a distinction of which Christ you're talking about. How that, the words how that are supplied in the they're not in the original. They're supplied. And I, I th think it makes sense how that he died. He. Now we're looking at this person. Now you're talking about the doctrines of Christ. So it's not just this his historical death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Something that you could see with your eyes, your physical eyes. We know that the just do not walk by sight. They walk by faith. And this faith that believes the gospel Believes what God says about it. Words that come into your understanding. They really have nothing to do with your... You can be physically blind and not have seen the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Right? Me, now, and I think most of us, we read back historically about Christ raised. And then we see this witness in the scripture that, you know, 500 people saw him after he was raised. You know what? I don't need that. I have. I, I, he has raised me. In a spiritual resurrection. I know what I came from. And I know that the only way that I could have been raised spiritually. Is if he was raised. And the scripture says that in Ephesians 1. The power that works in us. To believe is the self same power that raised Christ from the dead. I don't have to look back at miracles. And I hear people talking about different miracles. This say, hey, this guy, or this guy over here is raising people from the dead. I don't care. Mary came down from the sky. Maybe she did. Who cares? Has nothing to do with me. There's all kind of crap going on in the religious world. I don't care. What does God say? They're all kind of counterfeit miracles that really happen. I don't care. What does God say about what Christ did? So it's not just the history, it, it includes it. it. It is the historical death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. But the, the gospel question is, what did that accomplish by this person, this distinct Christ? What did he accomplish by that? Now, there's where the gospel is. It goes beneath the level of the senses. And it comes to questions. What did he accomplish? You can't see with your with your physical eyeballs or with your any of your senses there are people that were around Christ they watched the crucifixion some of them weren't saved they were there blessed are they that don't see these things and believe right that's what the scripture says we don't need 
this charismatic movement, all these all these things that are going on, they're just saying, I don't believe the scripture. I need something else. It's just like our method of apologetics. We are presuppositional. I presuppose that everything God says is true. And I believe it with an understanding that he gives in the context of whatever he says. I'm not an evidentialist where I got to say, well, I better do some research on this and get some archaeology going, you know, do, do some historical research. And then, okay, now, now I believe. It just meant you didn't believe what God said. You had to go outside of what he said. This is the wisdom of the world that we're warning about here. Even in your method of apologetics, it will reveal whether or not you have a wisdom of the world. Let's have a big thing, a campaign. Let's get a bus. Let's go down to the Creation Museum. We'll get a bunch of people saved then, right? Go take them down to the Creation Museum, then bring them back here. And play a, play a few hymns of imitation. Show them, let's show them a movie on hell. The gospel. It's the gospel. Don't scare people into being saved. It's under the goodness of God that grants repentance. You see the good news in Christ. God opens your eyes and see, <laughs> this is irresistible. Verse 8, which none of the rulers of this world knew. For if they had known it, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. We know in Acts it talks about that this every step of the way, the whole conspiracy. I want to do a message pretty soon on conspiracy. Conspiracy theories. The conspiracy of all the rulers and all the religious people coming together to kill Christ was predestinated. We read that in Acts. They're all brought together to do whatever God's hand required them to do, wanted them to do. And these people here, if they would have known that, that this was the one and what it resulted in, they wouldn't have done this. But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear has heard, nor has it entered into the mind or heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. They say, see, you pro-intellectual, pro-knowledge, pro-understanding, you logic freak. Here it says, I hasn't seen or ear has heard. It hadn't even entered in the heart of man. Who do you think you are saying it's entered into your mind and you're going to tell people how it works? They'll use that as a pro-ignorance text, a pro-mystery text, as if mystery never ends for some people. They'll stop reading right here. And they will go to another verse and half quote it. Deuteronomy 29, 29. For the secret things belong to the Lord. They'll stop there too. Just read a little bit further. So they and their ministry will promote constant mystery, ignorance, anti-doctrine, that it's cold, dead, and dry. Anti-theology, anti-distinctions, anti-definitions, anti-thinking, anti-logic, anti-rational thought, anti-understanding, anti-explaining, anti-interpretation, anti-confession of faith, etc. You could go on. And I've heard it for years. But verse 10 says what? But. But's connected to the immediate context. About this thing was a was a mystery, and it couldn't even couldn't couldn't even enter into the heart of man. But God has revealed them to us. It's taken care of. It's a done deal. We can get out of that stupid category, right? How by His Spirit. Well, y'all think, you know, you've studied yourself in hell by his spirit. Not by fleshly words of wisdom or human fleshly understanding. For the spirit searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. Let's see, deep things. I told you it's deep things. What about the simple people? They're all going to hell. You know, you just constantly keep hearing it. Because... Who among men knows the things of man except the spirit of man within him? His mind. Right? It's not talking about some ghost or something. A man, a human ghost in your mind. 
It's not talking about a guy over here and a guy over here, and they're telling you two different things, like in cartoons. It's talking about your mind. That's how you understand things. So also, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. But we have not received, these are believers, saints, justified saints, who are already sanctified, by the way, who, who don't hope later to be sanctified. This right here should show that these people are already sanctified by this truth that I'm preaching here. We have not received the spirit of the world, worldly wisdom and all that, false ideas, enemies of the cross, but the spirit that is from God, the Holy Spirit, so that we might know, not a mystery anymore, the things that are freely given to us by God. Some of those other things were mentioned, wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, redemption, just to name a few. These things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. We've done that this morning. It goes on and it says, this is important here, and this is part of the distinction of these two categories. But the natural man, this is one who is not yet born again. This is one that's not been regenerated, one that is dead in their trespasses and sins, has not been quickened alive by the Spirit of God, has not passed from death unto life, doesn't have spiritual life. This is the natural man in the natural state, the one that in Romans 3, none good, none righteous, none understandeth, none that seeketh after God. That's who this is talking about. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God because they are foolishness to him. Notice this. Neither can he know them. He can't. It's not that he won't. Let's not soften it. Let's not, let's not promote the way we'll get into this in our election series. Uh, you know, the, the infralapsarians or the low Calvinists, those that want to trim down the offense of the absolute sovereignty of God, will say, these people, they won't. No, they can't. Right? It says this in Romans 8, I think verse 6. The carnal man is at enmity against God. Neither can he know him. Can't. No man can come unto me. Can't. After that point, won't doesn't matter. Can't trumps won't. He ain't gonna. Had to do some hillbilly there. Natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness in him. Neither can he know them because, here's why, they're spiritually understood, spiritually discerned. It means understood. Why can't he spiritually understand? He doesn't have the Spirit. He hasn't been quickened by the Spirit. He hasn't been born again. But he who is spiritual, these are believers that have been quickened alive, been born again, that one that knows the mysteries of God by now, he judges all things, yet he himself is judged by no one. Now, I had a suspicion that this was the case, and I did a word study on this. I don't know if Becky remember us talking about this on the deck, and I checked it out, and it was the case. The word discerned in verse 14 at the end, and the word judges... And some of your versions might use the same word. I don't know. But those two words are the same original Greek word. It's helpful to know that. Discerned and to judge. It means to scrutinize, investigate, interrogate, determine, ask, question, examine, search. And it has to do with an understanding. To do these things in reference to an understanding. Which, when you see this, you see... That the lost, those unsaved, they can't understand. And those that are saved do understand. You've cro they've crossed over. Two opposing ideas. So if anybody says that the saved cannot understand, they're lying. If they're promoting things that go in the direction of not wanting people to understand or keeping people from understanding by their ignorance and their promotion of ignorance and their hatred of doctrine, theology... And this, that, and the other, that this, this man's wisdom, 
That's all they're doing. It's promoting man's wisdom. Verse 16, because who has known the mind of the Lord? That's the accusation, too. It just keeps going. Oh, you're saying you know what God thinks? You're saying you know the mind of the Lord? Who has known the mind of the Lord? Notice this, that he may instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ. Now, believers know the mind of the Lord to the extent that he reveals his mind in the word through his spirit to our spirit. In other words, whatever God's revealed to us, it's available there through the Holy Spirit to teach us what he says about himself, about his mind. Everything he says comes out of his mind. God is the invisible God, but God has a mind. He has truth. So that's how we know him, is by what he says about himself. So we know to whatever extent he says. We can't go any further than that. And note, it says to instruct him. Well, we can't, we can't do that. Nobody can do that. The natural man attempts to instruct Christ in their way of wisdom, in their own salvation, right? Because their free will trumps God's will. They say God wants everybody to be saved, and he'll save you if you'll only let him. You're instructing God. Think about uh, the false view of a conditional election. God looks down through the future. Yeah, I see you're going to believe. Thanks for instructing me. I'm choosing you based on your instruction. Huh? That's what that is. Instructing God with your own stinking wisdom. But we have the mind of Christ. In other words, mystery revealed. We know him. We love him. We've embraced him. He's irresistible. We know about him. We know doctrines about him. Don't preach doctrine. Just preach Christ. You ever hear that? Okay, well, as soon as you open your mouth, you're going to say something about him, and that's doctrine. You can't preach Christ without preaching doctrine. There's still life in a pit of hell. So the mysteries revealed. We have the mind of Christ. We've been regenerated, been given God-given faith, and in that faith is an understanding to know what we believe. And it's by his spirit. We've been given repentance and we grow in all these truths. We have the mind of Christ. Now, why would somebody try to say, stifle you from using that? That's criminal. And people, preachers are saying this under the banner of sovereign grace and are getting paid. Any questions or comments? I don't know if anybody could tell. I was riled up. <laughs> kind of, you know, this stuff makes me angry because it, uh, it affects people in a negative way. It's wicked. Infusing, even under the banner of sovereign grace, people infusing this, these ideas that I was exposing. It's terrible. All right. Anybody want to pick a song out?